0: So it's 5:32. Uh, we'll begin now. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome uh, to a very special uh, series called MK Alpha Events, uh, presented by PMSI World and NK Investment uh, Advisors Limited. So, this is a very special series for us, uh, where we talk to men and women who have uh, done some formidable contribution to the wealth management and investment management uh, business and as a service in India. And uh, you know, in such tradition, we have a very special first guest Mr. Ashish Shankar uh, from the Motila Loswal private wealth management team he actually heads it and uh, you know uh, very personal close friends from MK investment managers Mr. Vikas Sachdeva and Sachin Shah. Sachin Shah is the fund manager Vikas is uh, the CEO there and Ashish uh, is one of the most well-known investment managers advisors or wealth managers in the country he has a career of close to two decades now he has worked with marquee names uh, he recently took over the mantle at Motila Loswal uh, private wealth management and is uh, is the proud uh, composer of a framework called 4c uh, framework of investment style or choosing investment managers which we might get to know more in the show so before i hand over to you guys let me just give you a quick poll that we ran so sensex at 50k before budget 80 percent of the audience feels yes 18% of my audience feels mm, that, you know, might not. So, you know, we've got perspective. We've got a market high. We've got a lot of things going on. So over to you guys and uh, let's see how we can add value to investors today. Over to you Vikas. Uh,
1: thank you so much, Uncle po. Uh We are NK Investment Managers Limited. Uh, so that is one clarification. I thought I'll just start off with uh, and I'm Vikas M. Sachdeva. Okay, uh, but on a more serious note, uh, hello everyone and it's, it's a pleasure welcoming everybody here. Wishing everyone a very happy Lori, Pongal, Bihu, Makar Sankranti. Uh, actually, it's, it's, it's my privilege to host this very exciting series called Alpha Evans with my colleague Sachin Shah. Uh, too often, you know, one tends to gloss over the role a financial advisor uh, plays in an investor's journey of wealth creation. I've often believed that most investors invest when they are comfortable, uh, not when they're convinced. It is this integral factor of comfort that, you know, a prudent financial advisor brings to the table. He actually fulfills the underlying need of investors who want a first-hand perspective from those who are a bridge between the investment managers and themselves. Our attempt through this web series is to bring you the very best in the business. These individuals like Ashish Shankar head businesses which deal with a vast spectrum of clients and the truest sense of the term are the mavens or the experts who generate the alpha or the gain in an investor's portfolio through their choices. Incidentally, I think uh, Sankarpur just talked about, uh, you know, investors' expectation in terms of uh, the Sensex. Uh, We did a recent survey on Twitter just to find out what investors would like to hear, uh, you know, uh, from from these experts who come onto the show. And uh, not surprisingly, the topic which garnered 75% or 76% of the votes were uh, where are the possible gains or what are the sources of alpha one will see in 2021? And how can they be honest? And we felt that there is no better way to start off this series by answering this question with a foremost leading personality like Ashish Shankar. So welcome, Ashish. Uh, before we go ahead, before we go ahead, I'd just like to quickly talk about MK Investment Managers, the asset management arm of the 25-year-old MK Global Financial Services Group that conceptualized this event and brought it to life, along with one of the smartest platforms currently uh, in the alternate space, which is PMS AIF World. Uh, we are a stable registered portfolio management and investment advisory committee and uh, we are currently one of the fastest growing investment managers around. Uh, we are being appreciated for a strong customer focus our robust investment management processes, and clarity of the narrative that we bring to the table. Uh, The two core investment frameworks of uh, Classical Alpha and Smart Alpha are the driving force behind our uh, performance, investment performance and investment portfolios. And I'll encourage you to uh, go ahead and look it up on our website www.nkim.com. Before I hand over the mantle to Sachin to help me take this forward, uh, just a few more words. I'd like to thank everyone for their unequivocal support. I'm actually quite surprised uh, by, by the support which is coming in, not just from all of you who have participated, but on Twitter, uh, from uh, you know uh, my colleagues in the industry, both in the asset management space as well as the distribution space. There has been a very uh, good amount of interest which has come in. Thank you for your interest. Thank you for your registration. And more importantly, thank you for your questions. These are some very, very interesting questions which have come in. In fact, you can continue to post these questions as you go along in the chat box. And I think Sankarko is uh, going to help you, uh, you know, navigate this even better because the, the, the best question is actually going to win an exciting prize from Finland Academy. And what is this prize? You know, Finland Academy is actually a training and investment education initiative. they are a research driven, technology oriented training and transactions organization focusing on providing dedicated education in training and investment related subjects. Uh, they are 6,000 strong traders uh, and they're growing. And the best question of today is going to win the course on introduction to commodity and currency markets. And this is going to be through one year of access to the platform, videos, live lectures. And incidentally, it will also help you understand some of the things Ashish might talk to you on both the commodity and currency markets. So without any further ado, I'd just like to uh, take this forward and hand over the mantle to Sachin. Sachin, over to you.
0: Uh, Sachin, before you begin, let me just thank Vikas and let me just tell you what Vikas done, who has uh, been doing in the past and uh, leading to so far. So Vikas has headed multiple AMCs, top AMCs like Enam. Uh, he was there when uh, Edel, Edelwise AMC uh, took over JP Morgan AMC. So he is one of the most formidable names in the asset management industry and with him, he brings a lot of experience. So uh, to thank, uh, I'll thank you from uh, the behalf of AI World Team and Sachin is an equally capable fund manager. He has close to two decades of uh, fund management experience. Uh, Sachin is someone who, who believes in, uh, you know, the growth of businesses across life cycles, across life stage. He has this proprietary business, uh, you know, uh, picking model or stock picking model called the equal uh, framework, which I'm hoping Sachin will give us a little insight on. Uh, during the course, so that is a little bit about these two gentlemen who have brought this idea to life. Uh, and Ashish uh, is, all, you know, we've all known him for a while, and uh, you know, we'll hear from him more. So, what do you, Sachin? Uh, I'll just, uh, you know, be on the sidelines now. Thank you.
2: Sure. Thank you, Sankarpo Thank you, Vikas. Uh, hi, Ashish. We are very happy to have you over here, and uh, you know, we are looking for a lot of insights actually from the other side of the table. Uh, uh from generally uh we are we are always answering and you know we are we are presenting but this time we are very uh happy to have you here ashish and looking for a lot of insights uh, well,
3: Thank you, yeah. I think, uh, you know very kind words spoken by vikas uh, and sankalpo and you and really looking forward to this discussion and uh, you know happy to have someone like vikas who's a veteran in the industry also as part of the discussion so if i stumble on any question no i hope in. thank you so much yes, yes,
2: of yeah so yeah so i will just start uh, kick off with uh, talking a little bit about uh, how calendar year 2020 has been just to uh, you know set the backdrop so you know actually at least for indian equity markets and i think also across for the global equity markets uh, calendar year 2020 uh, you know actually has been like a, one hell of a ride you know it actually turned out to be like a roller coaster. The first quarter we saw where the portfolios were literally melted, you know, like month of March we saw portfolios down by 30 percent, and then from there on, which is from the month of April till now, almost 10 months, we've seen a non-stop rally. Uh, I think more important is that calendar year 2020 has actually been a change of trends in many ways, because if you think about it, uh, calendar year 18 and calendar year 19. This were two years when markets were very, very narrow, uh, where only a few handfuls large cap stocks, uh, Indian equities were doing well. And whereas, uh, you know, in the calendar year 20, uh, we, what we have seen is that the there has been a much broad-based rally. And uh, what we've seen is that the small caps, mid caps, large caps, all have done well. Whereas actually in the calendar year 18 and 19, the mid caps and the small caps were down quite significantly. Whereas calen- in the calendar year 20, we've seen that, they have come back quite smartly. So actually, uh, the smart the small caps have delivered almost thirty two percent return. The mid caps have delivered almost twenty two percent return, and the large caps have delivered fifteen percent return. So clearly, there has been a change of trends, and for better, I would say. Even if you think from the sectoral perspective, uh, what we have seen is that uh, there has been a change of trends over there also. Like for example, banking as a sector, real estate as a sector were doing much better in the calendar year two thousand eighteen and nineteen. Whereas the uh, calendar year 20, what we've seen is that pharma and IT have come back and they've come back like what? In the sense they've made up for the entire underperformance of the previous two years, like both pharma and IT are up more than 60% in the calendar year 20. So in, in that sense, it's been a much broad based market. And uh, another good thing is that uh, although we started with a rally of uh, pharma followed by IT, but now it's actually uh, you know flowing into banking, metals, real estate, across the board. So which has been a very good thing. I think uh, it's, it's a very, very healthy thing, actually, from a market perspective. Uh, and another very interesting trend that we saw is that uh, the FIIs, uh, you know, they, they seem to be like really loving India. Uh, we actually uh, say in the month of march we saw a selling of almost 6 billion dollars say about 40,000 crores but in the last uh, 9 months uh, of the calendar year 20 which is from april to december they invested uh, you know almost 28 billion dollars which is almost like 2 lakh crores i mean that's like uh, in my recent uh, you know memory i can't think of a number where they would have invested uh, nearly 2 lakh crores in a short span of just 9 months so uh, that has that has really uh, brought smiles to a lot of people. Uh, people like me, fund managers, and you know, investors across equity investors across. So I think that's that. So eventually, effectively, uh, calendar year twenty twenty ended well, and all all that ends well uh, is is a great thing. So all's well that ends well, right? So I think that's where uh, I think that's that's a brief thoughts that I have on the calendar year twenty twenty. And uh, clearly, I think uh, we are in a healthy environment. And uh, I think we are just catching up with the last few years of equity underperformance. Uh, and we have seen equity as an asset class always move in cycles. Of course, Ashish will be a better uh, person to talk about it more. But generally speaking, equities as an asset class do have cycles. And hopefully, we are out of the downturn cycle. And next two, three years, we'll see a much better uh, upper cycle is what I personally believe, uh, but I think I'll stop over here, and then pr- probably we can uh, open the discussion.
3: Right, uh, hi Sachin, I think you have summed it up uh, very well. Um, so yes, I mean, uh, you know, they, they say that sometimes the decades go by and nothing happens, and uh, decades happen in a year. Right, right. So it's been that kind of a year. So for people who haven't witnessed, I mean, uh, I've been in markets, uh, and I'm sure it's the same, same for you uh, When I started, uh, you know, my career, it was '97, but I've been in the market right from '93, '94. When I started, Sensex was at about 3,200, 3,300, and it remained there for almost uh, six, seven years. Uh, you know, you had the dot-com uh, boom, and then you also had the uh, crash. And I think that 2003 the sense is back to the same level. Uh, now, last you know, people who joined this industry over the last decade or so haven't witnessed the volatility of 2008. So if you haven't seen cycles, I think this one year has taught you lessons worth two three decades, right? You, you started off at a, on a very optimistic note, actually. If you recollect you know, in January February, everybody was optimistic that. You know, growth is recovering in india and we've seen the worst is uh, beh- behind us and we, we all started on a very optimistic note uh, not knowing what March had in store for us i mean it had been uh, probably one of the um, strangest and deepest bear markets and uh, it also turned out the shortest and, and i hope it's the shortest. i'm saying this in hindsight you never know what's in store but, uh, uh, you know, you saw the connection march, right, and you saw the sharp rally. Now, actually, if somebody looks at the returns point to point, they would be pretty happy. Like, you just come that, you know, you said, large caps gave 15%, mid caps 22, uh, small caps gave a higher return, you know, somebody who slept through this year, right, and invested in Jan giant person slept through this year, would have been very happy. But I think. It also taught us very important behavioral lessons, right? It just taught us that your portfolio returns, uh, 80% is dependent on how you interact with the market rather than the market itself. I mean, I, I have seen a massive boomerang since the time I joined this industry, in 97, is when I joined. Although I think the same I just did the match. I think it was figure of about 11 to 12%, uh, which ain't bad. But uh, we know that there are a lot of stocks, there are a lot of portfolios. Uh, which have generated, you know, closer to 17, 18 percent giga. All so the time I have joined this industry, I have witnessed, uh, you know, the market is it, doing a perpetual bull run and uh, probably, you know, a lot of us uh, are always bullish. I mean, we are always blamed or, or, you know, investors tell us that, you know, whenever we make it, we seem to be always bullish. We always seem to talk about the long run, but what do we do? I mean, we've experienced the bull run, uh, you know, these are interruptions that, that we've seen in between uh, but yes these interruptions do, does rattle investors right so i think what it has taught, taught us is a uh, behavior is very important and probably more important than the return that the markets generate second i think it also has uh, you know told investors that you need a coach you need an advisor people are becoming pretty easy right you can play in the bf technology you can go register on any platform, you can invest at the click of a button, you can redeem at the click of a button, but it has also shown that how important it is to have a brilliant advisor along, along with you, because these are, you know, critical points where an advisor can can add a lot of value. And I do concur with you in a sense that, you know, uh, a lot of uh, things fundamentally have changed, you know, I'm saying this because there's a lot of debate and many people are in the camp that... You know, markets have just gone up on purating. and there is no fundamentals backing it. Um, uh, honestly, I beg to disagree because, uh, you know, for many companies, right, this uh, pandemic or this period has turned out, turned out to be a very defining period where companies have, uh, you know, reset their businesses, uh, digital adoption has increased, uh, a lot of companies have touched the in terms of costs. Uh, some of it may come back, but a lot of it could uh, possibly stick. And given the kind of pain that the economy has seen in the last four or five years, uh, the companies which are actually uh, leaders today in their respective industries, uh, I would say you know the fact that they have survived uh, makes me believe that these companies are primed for uh, you know uh, very very good growth from from here on. I I would say the journey has just started. Uh, and I'm saying because see there are two uh, uh, camps today. Uh, one camp which is anchored to April right uh, And there is one camp which is saying okay, this is behind you uh, let me look at what's the possibility over the next years." year. But for people who are anchored to April blue prices right It's going to take a long time for you to convince yourself to invest. Because if you see eight thousand on the listing, and you scared to invest at that point in time at fourteen thousand, you are going to be very scared. But what one has to understand is it's not just the price; the underlying fundamentals have also shifted. And I think you know the best as to how only you know from a point in June quarter where you know, we were talking about massive downgrade to today, we are actually talking about upgrading uh, corporate earnings. So I think people need to have a more nuanced. If they want to take a view, there has to be a more nuanced study of where we are on fundamentals, and uh, then you know decide how much you want to allocate. But uh, I'm very optimistic, certainly on, on fundamentals, and I think you know in the near time one may keep battling this uh, you know challenge of valuation, but I think one can look further, out, you know beyond six months and a year. I think the uh, journey has just begun. I mean the fun has just begun, if you
2: Yeah, so Ashish, I completely agree with you. So, there were two points that I will just concur with what you were saying. You know, I read something very interesting where you said that the entire cycle has actually shrinked, right? What we saw in a decade has actually played out in just one year. But the best part, what I read is because, you know, we generally tend to talk about the market cycle that, you know, what happened in five years happened in this one year. But I think what that person wrote was very more interesting is that actually it has happened at the economy level also. Like in the sense that we saw that the the second quarter or the first quarter of the financial year and the second quarter of the calendar year, April, May, June, where economy, Indian economy shrink by say minus 25%. And from there probably now the fourth quarter we are going to see a growth. But typically when the economy goes in the downturn and when it comes back to a growth, it's a three-four year cycle, but we saw this whole thing happening in just twelve months. So, in that sense, it's definitely been a watershed kind of an event. And the and the second point that you uh, you know made about uh, you know that the, how the companies have changed. So, I think uh, from what I could observe that COVID has actually been uh, has played a role of a catalyst. Because uh, when we saw the quarter two results, I mean, the quarter three results we are already seeing and some of them have been phenomenal, but those are just first few IT companies. But if you see the entire quarter two pack of results, the best part has been that the kind of the cost efficiencies, the kind of the cost structures that the companies have, uh, you know, uh, kind of they have got the efficiencies is amazing and the balance sheet discipline that is also going to play out in a big way in the next uh, probably few years. So in that sense, uh, I completely agree with you that uh, there has been a fundamental uh, shift in terms of the way the businesses have holded themselves. Well, I have businesses have restructured their cost efficiencies and the kind of the balance sheet discipline that they have gotten. I think all of this will go a long way in terms of the earnings upgrades that you just spoke about.
1: Yeah, actually, actually Ashish, uh, you have you have triggered off. A fabulous conversation, and I just want to now step in and wear the hat of an investor and ask you a few questions. Right? Yeah. Uh, too often we are on the uh, one side of the fence wherein we are talking to investors from our vantage point. But as an investor, you know, if I were, uh, if I were to be advised, uh, you know, last one year has been uh, pretty much a whipsaw. Uh, I've really whichever way I've been anchored, I think that anchor point was very relevant. Uh, but it has it has rattled most investors, and more importantly, I think investor behavior has been something which. Has surprised a lot of people. My question to you, Ashish is, uh, you know, you have insights in terms of your investor behavior from a very, very close perspective. What have been some of the insights which have surprised you? You know, you've had experience since 96, 97, like you're saying, but uh, considering all of that, what has that has surprised you over the last one year? What has been your learning uh, through through these uh, investor behaviors? If you would give some insight. Yeah,
3: so I think, uh, you know one of the big learnings is that these kind of uh, situations can rattle the best of investors i mean i saw many many families uh, who have been invested in equity markets maybe for a decade decade and a half uh, who also got rattled and uh, redeemed money and created cash uh, not just in their equity portfolio but also in debt portfolio if you recollect because it's not just equity that we paying to investors uh, you had a lot of credit events, which also shook the confidence of uh, debt fund investors, right? So you know, in the in the in the quarter of June and you know even subsequently a couple of months, a lot of uh, large investors who uh, uh, normally normally kept patience even in very tough markets actually redeemed, and uh, uh, and I think you know in some cases they were probably even justified because. Uh, in many cases, there business businesses that are at risk. Right? And uh, uh, this was the first time we are experiencing a complete shutdown of the economy. So, uh, so, so there are a lot of behavioral re- lessons to be very honest. Now, that also to- taught us that no matter how much, uh, you know, how much of a risk appetite you have, uh, every investor must have a framework of asset allocation. Because, however aggressive you are, right, and however longer your time there is on the portfolio, right, you need some uh, debt, some cash, or maybe some non correlated asset in your portfolio like gold. It just helps you keep sanity in times like these, right? So, that was one big, big, big learning because, of course, a lot of people who were new investors who probably invested three, four years back. Uh, many of them got got very rattled, but to my surprise, there were a lot of new investors who probably did not redeem. Uh, maybe uh, you know they came in with a five-year horizon and they felt you know it's too short a period to uh, actually evaluate portfolios and take out money. But very few people actually actually invested with the bottom. Uh, uh, so so that 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 was a learning for me that uh, you know uh, it's very difficult to invest at the bottom Uh, however however uh, you know you may feel and it's not just uh, you know so it's not just uh, the right even seasoned uh, investors i mean for example you know you know i I don't call a seasoned investors but i've been investing in markets for 25 years right i started with an an sip uh, you know in an asset management company that you started off your career in right Uh, one of the oldest funds in the industry But honestly, in April to June, uh, it it shook the best of uh, investors. So so that was a big, 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 big learning. Uh, Second, it also, you know, uh, taught us that uh, you know quality always pays. Uh, You know, you can you can uh, take risk even in your equity portfolio, but if you have quality, you you still uh, have a better ability to come out of these kind of situations. Uh, so, for example, you know, you know, let's say when there are asset classes, but within equity portfolio, if you had, uh, you know, a company like an Asian Brands, or if you had a company like uh, maybe a, a Kotak or an HJC, uh, you know, you, you would have been less battered because you know that these are very high quality businesses, uh, and uh, they definitely have the metal to survive, uh, you know, the worst of uh, period.
1: Interesting. So a couple of things which I picked up from you. Uh, one is that the asset allocation works, right? So if one has to go into 2021 and you know, uh, basis your insight for 2021 as we go ahead, the learning is please stick to your asset allocation because that would have uh, probably kept you sane to borrow a word in 2020 when everything else was collapsing around you. Yeah. And the second thing is saying, even in your asset allocation, uh, don't compromise on quality. That's pretty interesting because one of the discussions Sachin and I keep having. In fact, quality is also one of the key engines to which we run our business. Uh, so it's very interesting that you mentioned that. I think we are pretty aligned in terms of thinking here. But I like this asset allocation part because uh, I would tend to agree. People who had a bit of gold, uh, you know, uh, and all that wouldn't have had such a steep dive in terms of their uh, in terms of their whole NAV, if you will, as those who would have who would have tried to,
2: uh, you know major reactions. What do you think, Sachin? Yeah, so Ashish, I think this is a a very, very interesting point that you made. So I agree with you that asset allocation is the key thing when it comes to uh, keep your sanity in difficult or very, very, uh, this kind of a volatile time. But, you know, I also wanted to understand because, you know, I'll just share a small slide here and because, you know, it's also about wealth creation, right? So when we talk about wealth creation, uh, you know, I keep on investing in equities. I'm a fund manager of an equity portfolio. But you know, finally, at the end of the day, as I mentioned earlier also, that everything is a cycle. So the flavor of the equities as a cycle, you have to get it right those five years. And because they all move in extreme. So you will have an extreme downturn, you will have an extreme upturn. And if you get it right in those cycles, Actually, that is where the large part of the main uh, you know, wealth gets created okay? and for every different asset class, whether it's debt, equity, uh, precious metals, real estate. So, you know, actually, I'll just share a slide, which is what I had come across. Uh, is this visible? Uh, is my slide visible?
0: Yeah, Sachin, Sachin is visible, please.
2: please. Right. So, yeah, so, Ashish, this is what I came across and where it talks about that. You no, know, uh, one is the how. What should an asset allocation be for an equity? Asset allocation be like say hundred minus your age. That's one part, and the second part is about how much. What role an asset allocation plays in terms of your wealth creation? It's not about security selection. It's not so much about market timing. It's not about you know anything else. But it's all about asset allocation, right? So yeah. you know, Ashish, this is what I wanted to understand from you that as a as a wealth manager, uh, you know, when you uh, when you must be dis- making a strategy for your investors uh, I mean other than the profile of the investor right one is obviously you will you will define the profile of the investor and then you will say how much percentage of you should be in equity depending on his age depending on what part of the life life cycle he is which is fine but you know thinking about the trends like you know the next five ten years will be about the debt markets the next five years could be about real estate the next five years says 2013 to 18, was about, uh you know equity markets from 2009 to 13 was about real estate debt right so how do you determine this kind of asset calls and uh, does it does it play an important role when it comes to your functions
3: yes absolutely in fact uh, you know Sachin, uh, you hit the holy grail of investing which is asset allocation now uh, see there are two things when it comes to asset allocation as a wealth manager my experience over the last two decades is that Either clients start a relationship by investing in a product that you offer them, right? Uh, in many cases, they allow you to assess their portfolio and then make a financial plan for them, right? So at Motilal Oswal, we have a concept called an investment charter, right? So if the client gives us a mandate and he allows us to uh, create a financial strategy for him, we create something called an investment charter where we broadly create ranges that the client should invest. In different asset classes now you know there are, there are, it's very interesting that you brought this up see there are two things one is on day one uh, I can ask the client certain certain questions and we are all privy to these questionnaires right and these questionnaires are like you know how will you react when the markets fall 20% will you invest more will you stay for or will you redeem right now now like they say in theory there is no difference between practice and theory but in practice there is right So even if you ask the client a question And it applies to me as well. You really don't know how he'll actually react in a crisis situation. Okay. Now, why I'm saying this is risk profile, I can gauge from a discussion with a client for an hour or two hours. Okay. But his temperament, I will only know once I've worked with him for three to five years. What I normally tell client families who work with us is that look, wealth management is not. Uh, let's say a decision at a point in time. It's a journey, right? It's it's your journey of creating or managing your portfolio with an advisor or a coach, right? And in that journey, I learn incrementally more about the client every day. So, for example, if there is, there are, there is a family who's been working with me for five years, right? And that family tells me, Ashish, I want to allocate more to equities, right? I can probably authoritatively tell him that you should not do it right now. Right? It's like a family doctor. You go to a family doctor. Ninety percent of the time, he will say nothing has happened to you. Just go home. You'll be fine, and you're actually fine after meeting him. Okay? It's psychological. It's in, it's in your mind. Right? So it's the same thing in wealth management as well. On day one, I know the risk profile, right? But I don't know the temperament. So in a lot of cases, the first actually. You know, this kind of event in March, April, uh, you know, I, and I normally pray this kind of event comes past in a wealth manager's life because it's like a moment of truth, right? And like Howard Marks said, there are no old, bold investors. Right? So once you go through this kind of an event, you're seasoned or chiseled as a wealth manager. And at the same time, you develop a deeper understanding of the client and, uh, and, and if you're able to manage the client well at that point in time, right? Your bond only becomes stronger with the client. So the second, second big learning, one I, as I mentioned was the behavioral part uh, you know, of, of learning this year. Second big learning is it also helps, other than having asset allocation, to have a framework of investing on your portfolio. So you could you could make it very, very rule-based. You can say that, okay, I will have 30% in equities, I will have 30% in bonds, and you can say 30-40% in maybe real estate or alternate assets. Right. And you can say if this 30% equity goes to 40%, I bring it back to 30 It can be as simple as that. Okay. And it works brilliantly over time. Okay. The second thing can be a little more nuanced because a lot of larger families want more sophistication. So you can say, okay, I'll do 30% equities. But if let's say we have various valuation frameworks for markets, so if valuation frameworks indicate that the market is in, in a very expensive zone, then you can say instead of 30, I'll go to 20. Right or if valuation frameworks indicate that you're a very cheap zone, then you can go to 50. So, you know, it can be as nuanced and sophisticated as you want it to be, but in my experience, Sachin, the simpler it is, the easier it is to execute and the more practical it will be over a longer period of time. And in fact, we have done a lot of work around this. And there is one particular model that, that we've seen survives the test of time. We've tested this model over 30 years. Okay. The model is very simple. You allocate equal amount to five asset classes. US equity, Indian equity, gold, debt, cash, five asset classes. Okay. 40% of your portfolio is literally to debt. Right? Long term debt and short term debt. Cash is nothing but short term debt. Gold is 20%. US equity is 20% and Indian equity is 20%. Now if you just rebalance this every year. The outcome of this portfolio in terms of risk adjusted return is better than equity and better than debt. On a three-year rolling, it never loses money.
2: Right. So, Ashish, this is a very, very interesting point you made, and I completely understand where you come from. I think rebalancing is a great thing to do. But you know, you also made a very interesting point about risk-adjusted return, right? Now, when it comes to investors, uh, at least I struggle, you know, when I when I make a little lesser return compared to some of my pure, uh, very smart inve- uh, fund managers. And then if I, and I actually genuinely believe that I would have taken a bit lower risk uh, compared to the way they would have taken those chances, because finally investing is a game of a probability. And if somebody has taken that chance and it played out well, be because of circumstances and I wanted to play a little safe thinking about Uh, preservation of capital and then growing it gradually so then the risk adjusted return definitely looks better but how do you exactly explain this to an investor or your uh, client that you know uh, my return may be marginally lower or maybe a couple of hundred bps lower but the risk that we have taken is also significantly lower so risk adjusted return is much better but has the Indian investor matured enough to understand this and how do you exactly demonstrate this
1: Rashish, answer. I think I should just mention. Sachin, you're on a roll. This is the holy grail of every sales guy. This question, every sales guy would want to have the answer to that.
0: Uh, I agree with what? you with there. <laughs> I mean, I just I just couldn't stop myself from switching on my camera. <laughs> agree with you there. So I'll just give you some context to that on you know a couple of uh, bibs. Uh, I mean, risk-adjusted returns. So I mean, I was asking my audience today, uh, how many of them actually took out some profits out of this bull run. Okay. So 42% said, no, they haven't. Okay. although the majority have. So to go to, it, it goes to show or how I infer it that people trust their fund manager and they are looking for that alpha from that market yet. You know, when the, when the sensex is at a high Nifty is at a high, they still feel that their fund manager might just give them some alpha. So that is very relevant or, you know, I think my inference is somewhere related to Sachin's. So, I mean, uh, Ashish please take this.
3: Yeah. So, uh, so, the simple answer to that, Sachin, is it is very difficult to demonstrate it. Okay. But, you know, there is a, see, you can, you can uh, explain it through practical stories. And, you know, I, I'll just give you one example. Let's say, you know, if someone is regularly traveling from Bombay to Pune, right, uh, on the expressway. Now, you know, you can reach in three and a half hours very comfortably, right? An experienced driver will take you very safely, very comfortably. In three and a half hours, and if you go 50 times, he will take you comfortably 50 times. Right? But now explain this to an investor or let's say a customer, right? Who who, who gets a driver who's a very fast driver and takes you to Puna in two and a half hours. Right now, if you just look at performance, the guy who took the car in two and a half hours to Puna is a great guy, right? And, the, three and a half, the guy who took you in three and a half hours is a very bad driver, right? <laughs> but if this guy who is doing it in two and a half hours tries to drive 50 times within Bombay and Pune, God forbid, I can assure you that at some point, you know, he will, have an, he will have an untoward incident, right? And in life, these kind of situations, it can be uh, fatal, right? So these risks can be binary. And this kind of risk, debt investors have seen last year. Absolutely. Absolutely. There was no risk for seven, eight years, right? right? And suddenly one fine day, your capital has blown up, right? right? So similarly in equities, right, uh, you know, in 2017, everybody wanted to buy small caps and within small caps also, I think, uh, you know, everything was going up and probably the companies uh, which were, uh, in a sense, you know, not quality. Businesses were also shooting up or probably they were shooting up faster, right? So many people went and bought those stocks and uh, you know the portfolio were looking horrific uh, at the end of 2018, right? And I've seen similar kind of uh, events in 2000, 2002, 2007. So the challenge is such in that some of these risks are very binary. So if I think if we can explain this to investors and demonstrate it with actual data, right, hopefully, you know, we have a better chance of addressing this question. Uh, but at the end of the day, like I said, you know, one or two, uh, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, but once you go through a situation like that and experience it, you know, then you become uh, uh, far more, uh, uh, you know, uh, in terms of how you, how you invest. I mean, like Howard Marks said, I'm just repeating that quote, because it's such a great quote. He says, there are no old, old investors,
2: right. Right. No, I completely agree, and it's a classic place of uh, greed and fear, right? Yeah, Everybody right. gets greedy when uh, you know they want a the best best I
3: find, I find frameworks very useful, Sachin. Sure, to avoid pitfalls. Like you know, one great book uh, I, I I have read is Checklist Manifesto, right? Where where this guy Dr. Gawande has said that uh, you know how he made the medical industry safer by putting checklists, and he actually copied it from pilots, right? And I think even the financial fraternity needs a checklist, right? Uh, I mean, you are the manager, I'm sure you have a checklist to determine which are the quality companies. Similarly, as a wealth manager, we need a checklist to understand the risk appetite of a customer and how do I manage them. So I'm a great fan of checklists and I think, you know, investments is all about, uh, is more about avoiding mistakes than getting that,
2: uh, you know, lottery ticket or multi-bagger. <laughs> Of yeah. So Ashish, actually I think uh, Vikas will think that I have already gone and whispered a few words in your ears because I keep on talking to him exactly the same words that in investing it's not about hitting a six but it's about avoiding a mistake and frankly yeah. uh, Sankalpo mentioned earlier about our module which is equal risk, MK qualitative risk analysis and which is nothing but a checklist. It is, Of course, I've used it further also for my risk reward matrix, but you know, uh, we all talk about in investing, equity investing, or even in debt, I would say, uh, we all talk about management quality is the ultimate thing. If that's, and it's again binary, because if if it has zero marks, then everything else becomes zero. It's like a multiplier effect. If you have a great business, but management quality is zero, then 100 into zero is zero, right? So we have this module called equal risk, which is MK qualitative risk. And where we actually evaluate all this in a very objective, because management quality is actually a very subjective term, right? Because uh, two of us would go and meet a management and they will always talk what is music to our ears. But you know, I will say, oh, he is great and great vision. And my colleague will say, oh, he was bluffing. So how do I determine that? So we said, let's convert this subjectivity into a very objective way. And uh, we created this module where we started evaluating managements on their integrity, on their capability, and, and all publicly available data points so that there's an Apple to Apple comparison across companies. So I completely agree on the checklist. And the idea of doing the checklist is also uh, how, how that idea came out. Oh, it's an interesting story. I'll just share a couple of more minutes. You know, I had actually uh, met Mr. Uh, Nimisha of Inam. I mean, all of us know he's, uh, he's actually the godfather. And I had specifically taken a one-hour appointment from him. This is way back in about 2009 and I I took an appointment for him uh, and actually I don't know him but I I was fortunate to get somebody's reference and he was very generous to give me an appointment and uh, the reason why I wanted his appointment was because I was getting stuck in some of my points in research that how do I do a research when at this particular point like for example the consolidated balance sheet Tata motors GLR I mean these are certain challenges how do I you know take care of this so I made a a long list of questions and he, when I met him, he patiently heard each of my questions, and he answered each of those questions very specifically. And I, and I was like very satisfied at the end of the day. And you know what? What he said at the end of the day, is it is that all that you ask me, probably you know a lot of these answers. But you know the most important thing is how do we not get carried away in the good times and the bad times? So that's when it struck me that if I have this checklist, you know, I don't do those silly mistakes because. A lot of times we actually do a lot of the silly mistakes and having a checklist actually plays an important role and what it also has done for me that it has actually institutionalized this. That my team now has a checklist any company that has to be evaluated first has to go through a checklist only if it passes through it then only it comes on to our table to further evaluate it. So there is no individual biases you know in that sense.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
3: Absolutely.
2: So uh, uh- I'm going to be again uh,
1: stepping in. There are a lot of questions coming in uh, in the chat box to me, but I have a few questions, Ashish, for you before I I ask Sachin to take over and you know I'm asking all of these questions. I'm coming straight to the point. Uh, having understood from you what has happened in 2020 uh, and and you know uh, the subtle nuances or the obvious interpretations of different asset classes, according to you, which are the asset classes? which are likely to do very well in 2021, okay? Where can an investor generate alpha in 2021, Uh, you know, and as a wealth manager, how are you gearing up for your investors to avail of these opportunities?
3: Right. So uh, I'll answer it in two parts. Uh, First, uh, 2021, you know, I often say that, uh, you know, you can either play T20, one day cricket or a test match, right? And T20 is more about luck, whereas in a test match, uh, a bad team cannot win too often. Uh, averages catch up with you, right? So, predicting for a year is like T20, but I'll take a shot at it. Uh, I would definitely say that uh, equity as an asset class will continue to do well uh, because of the reasons that we spoke about earlier. Hopefully, uh, the returns will be a little more moderate than what we've seen this year, but it'll definitely have a good year because uh, fundamentals are looking uh, very, very strong. Um, So definitely, I would say equity would be would be the top asset class for me. Uh, Debt uh, is is very tricky because because, uh, you know debt is all about cycles, interest rate cycle, and uh, we know that interest rates are uh, you know low right now. Especially the short term rates are low. Medium term rates are still uh, you know not low, but but they are at a reasonable level. I think debt uh, investors should ensure maturity profiles of their portfolios are low, maybe three to five years and. You know, so what happens is even in a test match or a one day, you know, there are times when you have to defend or leave the ball, and there are times when you get a, you know, easy ball and you go to hit it out of the park, right? So for debt investors, this is the time to you know plod away patiently, right? Not to take too much risk or not to you know be very very aggressive. Uh, Equity investors, I think, need not be aggressive, but you should be fully allocated. Uh, Because I'm saying this again and again because I see a lot of people trying to take profits very soon, right? Uh, And this is very contrary because, you know, if you didn't invest when markets were down, right, why would you take profits off the table so early? And one needs to, you know, ignore, uh, not ignore, but I'm saying that one needs to put earnings and PE ratios in context because there is a lot of chatter about it because you had two two quarters of lost earnings in the last 12 months failing earnings. That is the March quarter and June quarter. March quarter is also very hard. You had a uh, very, we had a lowest GDP print in terms of growth. Plus, half of March went in lockdown. June quarter was fully lockdown. So, definitely, my preference would be towards equity, defensive towards debt. I would definitely hold some gold because, because uh, see, the other thing uh, which is playing out globally is this massive amount of liquidity that all the central banks have pumped in. And they're continuing to do so. So, you know, it, it's really bad news equal to good news because bad news means central banks pump in more, more, more liquidity, right? Which is good news for emerging markets because a lot of this liquidity is coming, uh, seeking yield and seeking growth, right? But, you know, if, if something were to give way, uh, there, let's say if inflation suddenly flares up, right? And, uh, you know, central banks had to, uh, maybe high rates or something where to go wrong. Then gold definitely is an asset class that I would, that I would hold from a, from a risk risk point of view. Um, I don't know much about US equities with us, but just looking at the behavior and the kind of returns that this asset class has generated over the last decade, I would be a little wary and careful, uh, especially, you know, uh, I now I see a lot of people directly opening accounts, buying Tesla, buying stocks like Google, Amazon, you know, it's become very easy. And I've been taught long back, uh, you know, our company Ramdeji has told us very often, you know, when something something seems very, very easy, uh, you got to start becoming very, very skeptical about it. So I would be a little wary about uh, US stocks, especially, you know, the tech stocks, Nasdaq. uh, And just to remind investors, it was not so long back that uh, tech stocks, especially Nasdaq had a 13 year negative return. So if you had invested in 2000 peak, in as you would have wait, you would have had to wait for 12 or 13 years just to get capital.
1: Amazing. In fact, uh, talking about uh, things being too good to be true, there is the flip side to it also. Some of the questions which are coming to me is, uh, if you have to take a perspective, not from a T20 point of view, but maybe from a little bit of a test match and test match. You know, we've just seen a brilliant test match happening. So I'll use that word. Uh, Real estate as an asset class, a lot of people ask about and we mentioned about those five asset classes. I I think you did not mention about real estate. So one of the things which is, uh, which is, uh, you know, for people who can afford real estate, is this the time to get into the three to five year perspective? And for people who cannot afford real estate, should one look at real estate as a sector Uh, from an equity? So that's a good question. I think I
3: missed real estate. I think real estate as an asset class uh, is clearly on the revival path and uh, we you know run a large real estate fund so we, we talk to many developers uh, especially in the tier 2 markets and uh, we are seeing a massive uptick in consumption in real estate uh, properties uh, so definitely real estate looks good so i would say that if you want to buy your own house this is a this is as good a time as any because you're getting the best of both worlds i mean prices have not moved for five six years if you sit with a checkbook a lot of developers are willing to give you a discount and interest rates or mortgage loans are at the lowest level right so you're getting the best of both worlds so this is a great time to uh you know buy your own house uh the only thing i would say is that you know you figure out for for many of us who are in, who are salaried you know uh, because you buy your own house real estate becomes 90 80 percent of your asset allocation although i would say you should not count your own house in asset allocation so just you know trying to balance uh, that bit uh, commercial real estate obviously is in uh, a little bit of a flutter because of this entire work from home debate. But uh, my view, Vikas, is that if you think two years out, you know, even commercial real estate will come back very strongly. Prime commercial real estate. See, because if India, you know, is going to be a sought after uh, economy and destination for businesses globally, right? Commercial real estate has to come back, and I'm already seeing it, you know, in our offices. Uh, you know, there is only so much you can, um, you know, chain people to their homes. Uh, we are a very social, uh, you know, race, and we love to physically interact. And uh, you know, I've been coming to office regularly, uh, but of course, my advice is, you know, health first. Uh, so everybody has to think for themselves. So I think even commercial real estate, uh, you know, for for large HNI families who can buy large ticket commercial real estate and lock in lock in rental yields, uh, is is a decent asset class to be in. Residential, I will not say it's an investor asset class, but it's a good time to buy your own house. Interesting.
1: One of the comments which came in while we were starting is, it's nice to see three senior people sitting out of their offices. This <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, sachin any questions you'd like to ask?
2: Yeah, so uh, I have one personal question and I'm sure some more people will also be interested. Mm-hmm. But uh, as I said, you know, to know, to understand things from the other side of the table, uh, Ashish, what I would like to understand is that, you know, uh, you have uh, all fund managers across asset classes, be debt, equity, real estate, lining up at your door and saying that please amp-panel my product for your investors. So what really transpires uh, in your research, in your thinking, in your process, uh, when you actually select some of these uh, products or fund managers? Uh, I'm sure track record is a very important important tool that we look at but you know at least as far as equities is concerned if i look at a 10-15 year track record i'm sure every fund manager will have a five year great phase five year an average phase five year a bad phase and on a CAGR basis most of them will be outperforming the benchmarks right uh so in part of that you will select only a few of them for your investment so what really actually plays out as far as you are concerned so, uh,
3: you know, uh, you, I think uh had mentioned it at the beginning. We have this 4C framework
0: for selecting... And, it's coming to it, Ashish.
3: Yeah, uh, especially for equities. We have we have, uh, you know, kind of uh, refined it for fixed income as well. But as far as equity is concerned, the 4C is basically, 4C is clarity of philosophy. Because what I've seen is, uh, you know, returns, uh, short-term returns are very transient. I mean, uh, I have this, uh, and this is my fa- that is my favorite slide. If you look at three-year return uh, return ranks for mutual funds or even PMS managers, right, the managers who are the, on top for the last three years seldom are top for the next three years. Right, so performances keep 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 changing, right, and and often you know investors get lured by the last three-year returns because that also influences the five-year five-year return. And after they invest, very often they find that managers don't perform or their funds are underperforming. And a lot of investors jokingly tell me after I invest, you know, I'm jinxed. After I invest, the fund doesn't perform. But actually, that is true because you know, if we look at past returns and keep investing, and that is our process, you will you will bound to be more disappointed, more of more often disappointed, right? Uh, so what we do is, one is we look at what is the philosophy of the fund manager, whether it is a growth growth style manager, what is his uh, style of picking companies—is uh, it uh, high quality? Is it growth? Is it value? So we lay a lot of emphasis on on style and more importantly consistency of style, because you know different styles play out at different points in time. Different market capitalization uh, does well at different points in time. You know, is a fund manager sticking to that style in a rigorous manner? Because then you know you have a better chance of sustaining and delivering consistent performance over a longer period. Second is we look at consistency of performance. So as opposed to last three year, one year performance, we prefer rolling rolling return performances. So let's say if a fund manager has a 10 to 15 year track record, we look at multiple instances of rolling returns and we try and see how often is the fund manager able to generate alpha given, given, given his style, right? And we also look at the source of that alpha, you know, whether it has come because of the style. So just to give you a simple elaboration of this, you know, if you're a growth style manager, you should be getting more more alpha through uh, underlying profit growth of companies rather than PE expansion. Whereas a value manager by by design will probably get more alpha through re rating of companies, right? So we try and figure out whether whether uh, you know the source of alpha is consistent with the style with the style. And then of course the last two Cs are one is uh, you know the capability or the edge. Because it, you know, unlike maybe 20, 25 years back when we started our careers, the market is very competitive today, right? Everybody is trying to generate alpha. So alpha disappears very fast. So I strongly believe that you know, either uh, uh, you know, so analytics is no longer a source of alpha because everything is available at a fingertip. Like you said, you can get a screener at the click of a button, right? Understanding of businesses is a source of alpha, right? Temperament of the fund manager is a source of alpha right? Style consistency can be a source of alpha. So in the capabilities, we try and figure out what is the edge of the fund manager, right? In managing his, his portfolio according to that. And last but not the least, you know, I say the last thing is class, that is class is permanent, form is temporary, uh, to see, you know, how the fund manager has, how many cycles the fund manager has seen, right? Uh, unless somebody has seen a bear market like 2009, and now everybody can claim that they have seen a bear market, right? Of March, although albeit short-lived. Uh, but you know, unless you've seen you know stocks falling 70, 80 percent in your portfolio, it is very difficult to explain risk. It is that discussion we had on risk-adjusted return, right? Unless you experience it yourself, it is it is very difficult. These are the four things that that we use and I won't say that it is perfect or very robust. We are continuously learning and incorporating our learnings
0: in the process. Especially.
3: And, and so, I after this process, we, we do sometimes
0: go So, sorry to cut you there. So, Ashish, we also have a framework, we call it the QRC, which is quite a lot like your framework. We call it QRC for quality, risk and uh, consistency, where we also try to look at how the fund manager has done over cycles. Because we understand that, you know, performance is like one of those perfect length, perfect pitch kind of balls. You don't get them, you don't get six of them in an over. You get two, three max, three tops. So, Uh, We use this proprietary framework as well, where quality, risk and consistency are given equal importance. And that has, you know, that led us to believe uh, to have a cautiously optimistic view throughout the COVID period. And that is where we uh, would say to our clients, uh, stay invested, stay in the market. Because uh, QRC wise, we are probably at one of the best phases in the market. So, yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. Frameworks, checklist makes. Things but
3: are very, very difficult behaviorally, very difficult behaviorally because let's say even if you have got a great fund manager and you can see that his portfolio is underperforming for three to four years. I mean, how do you stick with the fund manager? It's very difficult behaviorally. Uh, but you know, all I want to do uh, also emphasize is that it can change in six months.
0: You yeah,
3: know, just in March Absolutely. people were bashing equity mutual funds because ten-year SIPs were negative, right? Today, someone just posted. Uh, I think uh, uh, an SIP return chart, uh, 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 you know, in, in January, all 10 year SIP returns are now double digit. So, so in nine wow. months, your 10 year SIP has gone from negative Kager for 10 years to posit- double digit positive. Wow. wow. So, similarly, you know, a fund manager who follows a style, right, when the style shift happen, you know, you can catch up three years in six months. I've seen that. I mean, like small and mid caps, right? You know, they were doomed last year in December. Now you look at the catch up that has happened.
1: True. Absolutely. I think uh, my two bit share in terms of quality, I think this is something which is a very interesting discussion and this can go on for a long, long time. But uh, in terms of quality, uh, we run this whole Smart Alpha series of Smart Alpha framework where quality as a factor is what we focus on. And I, I quite like the point which uh, both you and Sankalpo were making in terms of uh, the consistency, in terms of the style of the fund manager. That is very important. So, one of the things our framework does is it eliminates selection bias and allocation bias. Uh, selection bias means that there is a sandbox, a framework in which the fund manager has to function. And allocation bias is basically rebalancing the portfolio at regular intervals. And we have a fixed number of stocks which are all equivated. So, my favourite one, again to borrow from the cricketing analogy, we don't have a Rohit Sharma and a Shuman Gill, You know, uh, one which is an established there and one which is a player which is coming up. We are all established players. Each high conviction rate, all equated. And I think these are different different aspects of this entire uh, investment management space which are now coming. Uh, so, uh, Sachin, do you have any any
2: question? Because I think uh, I have an uh, interesting perspective which I would like to share. Sachin, over to you. No, no, so I was saying that I have got some questions from the viewers, uh, but you can go on first and then we can take the viewer questions. I have uh, one question
1: for you, Ashish, it's a very personal question, but I want that answer. Uh, How your own personal portfolio done in the last one year? and What is the asset allocation you had set for yourself?
0: um, you know uh, because my personal allocation Actually, before that because we are going to ask you this exact same question huh. no, heavily tilted. <laughs> yeah,
3: no, I, i'll tell you i probably tilted towards uh equities because my portfolio about 80 90 is is in equity and uh barring maybe a few stocks uh it's mostly in mutual funds and uh you know i have now personally committed we run a you know PMS, which is a fund of funds. So based on the 40, we select the best fund managers in that portfolio. I have committed that all my money in mutual funds will go to our our portfolio, our product. So in the game, but 80-90% equity because you know, like I said in the beginning, you know, from the time I've been in the industry, I've only seen a bull market. I would uh, again, Sankalpo.
1: I think I would be exactly the same like Ashish, but my answer is slightly different. Why I'm almost in equity, it's because I think most of the needs which one has to have have been fulfilled real estate and all of that, you know. So it does not occupy a disproportionate uh, part of my asset allocation. In fact, uh, thanks to equity, I've been able to pay off my housing loans way before uh, time, right? Uh, so before I go on to the audience questions uh, with Sachin, there are some rapid fire questions I want to ask you, Ashish. Sure. Okay. And the answer to them has to be equally rapid fire, right? Don't worry, these are not. I was, I was joking with Sankalpo before this, I said, this is not coffee with Karan. This is Aampanna with Ashish. Okay. So they're going to be (laughs) pretty straightforward questions. What are the first thing which comes to your mind when you hear the following words, Bitcoin?
3: Crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Private equity uh wealth creation
1: okay uh the first thing you do when you get up in the morning
3: have a cup of hot water the book you're reading currently um so i'll tell you the book i read recently uh it is competition demystified demystified by bruce greenwald greenwald the same guy who wrote book on value investing investing What's your biggest fear? Biggest fear, uh, you know, not being able to work. Ah, that I, th- I can identify with
1: immediately. Yes, <laughs> all workaholics. I can identify with that immediately. Uh, what's your favorite song? What do you like humming to yourself?
3: Um. So. I, I love all, uh, you know, so I'm a classical music buff, so I love all symphonies of Mozart. And uh, other than that, Hindi, I think the song, Evergreen song is Hindi Kasat Nibata Chalagya. You know, the famous <laughs> Devon. So I love that. Last, last two
1: questions for you. What's on, what would be on your bucket list? The first item on your bucket list?
3: So many items, actually. I'm a foodie. So, there are many restaurants still I have to try in Bombay. So, I was waiting for the lockdown to open <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I hope I can do, uh, you know, travel to uh, Europe soon. I love Spain as a country. So, that's the first thing I'll do once things open up.
1: <laughs>
3: My last question to you is, what
1: is the best advice you've ever received? Non-investment advice. What is the best advice you've ever received?
3: Um, you know, the best advice I've received was, uh, you know, from one of my earlier bosses, uh, who basically told me that, uh, you know, equanimity is the best uh, skill you can develop, which is Yes. in the sense that, you know, there'll be high ups and downs in life. You know, if you can go through them with equal ease and humor, uh, you know, you'll have a, you know, great life. So, I think humor, humor, he told me treat, you know, if you have a great sense of humor, you know, whether you're depressed, whether you're, you're having a tough time, whether you're having a great time, I think if you don't take yourself too seriously and uh, you have a good sense of humor, I think that, that, that takes you through life very, very easily. That's
1: amazing. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I think, uh, I think that is probably uh, some of the best insight one would have ever got humor. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, sachin over to you for the audience questions sure sachin,
0: uh, let's take a few questions we are running uh, a bit short on time i also have to ask ashish one personal question so you know i will ask you some time for that over to you sachin.
2: okay so uh the first question is from uh mr sharad Gupta. what he said is very interesting the nine months back i had to convince my clients that you know please stay invested because uh, otherwise you will uh, you know things will come back and he said, now the clients are, because that time clients were more worried about losing further capital. And now he said, now clients are too much worried about losing profit in just nine months. Now, how do I convince them all this time? So what is, I mean, how do I handle this situation? Yeah, I think we had a
3: chat about this earlier. Uh, it's all about coaching. And uh, I think creating some sort of a framework with the client. You know, under certain uh certain frameworks to take decisions in the portfolio. And I think if you demonstrate that consistency, it will be easier you know it's tough. like i said you know it's it's emotions at the end of the day uh, are very difficult to control uh so there will be a bit of you know here and there
2: okay uh the second question is from uh neeraj singh and what he wants to know is that uh when you are making asset allocations and when you decide to answer the earlier question,
3: he should make a copy. He should keep a copy of the client's portfolio in March 31st. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
3: in Every month, you should remind him. So this is where you are. True,
2: true, 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 true. Right. So, okay. So uh, from Nirat Singh, the question is that when you uh, think of changing an asset allocation, like say five say till last three years you were talking about debt as an asset class and now you want to talk about real estate as an asset allocation how do you distribute this? what makes you think that this asset class is going to do better in the next few years
3: right so see at the core of the asset allocation you should have a strategic framework right so with your advisor you can decide 30% debt 30% equity 30% you know alternate so on and so forth right so, that should be the asset allocation for 80% of the time Okay. and you should try and rebalance maybe once in a year. That's it. Okay. Then there are 20% of the time when either market gets very excited and exuberant, or it gets very depressed. But so those are times where you get opportunity to intervene and be more active and you know, let's say get more tilted towards equity when it's when it's depressed and cheap, or at the other side, you know, you, you should generally avoid taking too much. But 80% of the time markets, you know, I say that 70-80% of the time markets are same. 20-30% of the time markets go crazy on either side.
0: Hmm.
3: Right? So for 70% of the time you should create a static listed allocation, right. pre-balancing at the margin. For 20-30% of the time when when you get those periods, either you have to be, become very conservative or become very aggressive. But if you have a framework, you'll be able to do it, otherwise it's very
2: difficult. Right. So uh, one more question before I uh, give it to Sankalpo. So this gentleman is asking that why is everyone always concerned only alpha about alpha and returns? Why are they not thinking about the downside risk and uh, you know the, the risks? So is it because what you talked about the you no know, the hoards that human beings are generally optimistic and you know whatever? So why so you know Shelby you know he just wants to know that why is this the case? That why everybody only talks about returns and not the things about the risks? Sachin, is this you asking as somebody else? No, 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 this is not me. <laughs> I, I <am> the guy. <laughs>
3: no, no, I think Sachin, we spoke about it, uh, you yeah. know, we spoke a lot about risk today. But, uh, you know, generally, it's scientifically proven, Sachin, that it pays to be optimistic in life. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. I think everybody likes to see future growth. So, yeah. obviously, you're going to talk about it. That's at the top of your mind. If you're
3: optimistic, then I think you're, you're able to take decisions also in a more equanimous manner.
0: Sure. Sure.
3: I agree.
0: Yeah. Sankalpo, you can go ahead with your- Right. Right. So, Ashish, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take up uh, audience question and then I will come to my question. So, one of our friends, uh, Harish Pansalji is asking, is REIT a good alternative to actual real estate? You can, uh, you know, instead of just being read, uh, maybe other financial real estates could also be included in that bucket. Uh, yeah. You know, and now my question is, uh, you know, I'm a young financial services professional trying to be advisor, like you probably, uh, you know, because uh, has fortune has been fortunate enough and equities have, you know, paid off his house. You are planning a sp- uh, Spain trip. I am young and I'm just starting out. I'm planning things in life. So, you know, the point has been beaten to death that the quota moment in every industry comes at a point. And we are now at least a three, four decade old industry in India, wealth management. Okay, where do you see? uh, And I mean, is this an inflection point? Will things change majorly after this? Are we? I mean, the the, the regulator has also been, you know, quite quite uh, active. So, what is your thoughts on that? So, you know, these are my. uh, This is my question and the audience question. If you can just answer.
3: Sure. So uh, there are two questions you asked. One is the advisor question, and which is the first one? Read is read a better option. Okay. So let me take the read question first. Uh, that's an interesting one because this is a asset class which is coming of age in india i mean it's a pretty popular asset class globally uh reits are basically nothing but financial uh it, it's a financial way of uh, it's a financial instrument and underlying are uh, could be commercial properties or residential properties globally and whatever rent is received by that structure is paid out to the investor right so it's an income bearing uh, uh structure so it's you can think of it like a mutual fund Right? It's a, it's like a mutual fund which has many or few properties, and whatever rent is paid is paid up. In India, whatever listings we've seen are of listings of commercial properties. right? Because the yield on commercial properties in India is higher, right? Uh, so it's a good asset class to be in because it it is actually a play on the economy as well. If if the economy does well, the renters generally tend to go up, and commercial companies tend to do well. It's a good, it, it's a it's a balanced asset class. It it has income. At the same time, it has potential for growth, right? But one caveat that I want to give uh, you know the person who asked it and it's more for the larger audience is that it is not a less volatile asset class than equity. Okay, so from a behavioral point of view, it's like a stock. If you buy a REIT right, and keep it in your portfolio, the volatility of the REIT can be very high on the capital. Okay, so if you're buying it to mitigate volatility and you're looking at a debt substitute, it's not a debt substitute from a, from a behavior point of view, right, because the prices get very optimistic when people get optimistic on the economy and the prices can get very pessimistic when people get negative on the economy, because it's a direct directly on the economy, commercial real estate of a country, right, so just with that caveat, it's a good asset class, if you can invest in it for five year class, longer term, Longer term time horizon. It, it has the ability to give you double digit returns because it will give you income as well as some growth, which is linked to the GDP. Right? Uh, the second question, uh, very relevant question. Um, so I've been uh, in this industry now for 24 years, and I've been a private banker for I think over 15 years now. Right. Uh, I still strongly believe that there will always be a set of investors who will want to be guided by a financial advisor because If you you look at our discussion today, right, I think all of us have agreed that a large part of uh, financial portfolio management is behavioral. Right. So you need a coach, you need an advisor and, you know, what better times than April, May, June to realize that you need somebody who can guide you through your portfolio. But having said that, the way technology is changing and the rate of change that we are witnessing, I think, uh, you know. The, the new world will be more digital, right? Where a lot of the delivery may happen digitally, right? But at the same time, uh, you know, you may meet clients physically as well because remember, it is also a game of emotions. And uh, you know, at least you know, I have seen that you know Zoom is very popular; these digital platforms are very popular. But you really don't know how the other person is feeling, you know, when you are when you are when you are talking to them. There is no substitute to meeting somebody physically and socially interacting. So I think digital is the way it will evolve. And having said that, I think this industry has a great future. I believe we are just at the cusp of uh, a multi-year uh, growth growth phase. I mean, we are we are a two thousand dollar per capita country, and I was just checking some of the statistics. US was two thousand dollar per capita in the seventies. So there is one firm in US which has one lakh advisors so you know we have long long way to go and as more wealth is created in this country the need for wealth managers is only going to grow rapidly i think the regulations have changed for the good i think it's just making everything very transparent i think right. uh, if, if as an advisor you can transparently tell the client look this is what i'm making on your portfolio and this is why i deserve it i don't think you know over time clients you know clients also you know uh, you know, coming around to, compensating advisors in a transparent manner. Right.
0: Vikas, I cannot let you go without giving an giving an answer to this question. You've been with this industry for too long to not answer this question. Can't we can't hear you because you're on mute.
2: Because you're on mute. I would say that
1: if I have to make money. Uh, You know, uh, or you have to make money, Sankalpa. I think you should follow the recommendations of a brilliant portal I've come across recently. It's called PMS AIF World. (laughs) (laughs) Best fund managers are listed there. They are very clinically assessed and very good recommendations. Uh, I do that personally, so I think you could do that. You will benefit a lot out of that, Sankalpa. Well, I
0: take it as a compliment. Thank you. Hope it was intended so. So, uh, Ashish, let's just have some uh, have some fun as we, you know, come to the end. Uh, you know, you are a wealth uh, advisor and we have a fund manager with us. So, you know, just take some time and tell us about Sachin's investment style. What do you think of it? I mean, you guys are both bottoms up kind of guys. I mean, Modilal is known to be a bottoms up kind of guy. Sachin, you know, whatever I have interacted with him seems like a bottoms up guy. Uh, so, we'll just take some thoughts on that before we conclude for the evening.
1: Just one uh, one pointer, you know, after 6.30, bottoms up takes up a different meaning altogether. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, a bottom, it's a, a bottom-up thing which you're about, so yeah, please, I am very <laughs> keen to listen to this, please go ahead, yeah.
3: Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, uh, the firm that I work for, Sachin, has also seen this firm very, very closely right and uh, you know both of us have got greatly influenced uh for the you know uh, and uh, you know i'm i'm ever thankful uh, for the mentorship of mr ramdi agarwal here uh and uh, like i mentioned earlier i think you know if you buy quality uh, you can buy right sit tight uh, and you can sleep tight even in the you know more toughest of periods uh, now quality is subjective So there is, so you can look at numbers and say that this is a quality company, uh, but at the same time you also need to get a feel of the company, right? And I always say that uh, you know it has to pass the field test. When if you meet a management, I mean, although uh, Sachin is a fund manager, he can give many more examples. uh, But you meet a lot of promoters as there are wealth clients, right? If you interact long enough with a promoter, I mean, you get a feel of of the promoter, right? So I think. If, you, if, you, if it doesn't feel right to you, after the number, so one is the numbers, right? So, numbers obviously, you can put a screener, you can put a checklist so on, so on, so on, so on. But then, after you meet the management and you interact with them consistently for a few years, right? Quarter on quarter. And, uh, you know, most good fund managers I know, and I'm sure Sachin does it as well, have the habit of taking down notes, right? Every time you meet a manager. And it's always a good idea, I think, to go and revisit your notes as to what the manage- management said when I met him last. What is he saying now? What is the delivery? I think you know it's not too difficult. And if it doesn't feel right, don't invest. As simple as that.
0: Yeah. So uh, thank you, Ashish. So Vikas, uh, can we just have the winner for uh, the contest you'd, uh, you know announced earlier? Yeah, I think
1: uh, the winner of this uh, amazing course by Finland on commodity and currency markets. The winner is hands down Sharad Gupta because I think the the emotion which it aroused out of all of us. I think somewhere he hit a nerve when he talked about the fight. How do you explain this to the investor? <laughs> I, think the first question, I think hands down he's the winner. Although there were a lot of interesting questions and I would like to thank everybody for their questions. But this was very interesting. J- j-
0: congratulations and thank you for asking this wonderful question. Uh, so, uh, thank you everybody. Thank you uh, to the audience. Thank you, Ashish. Thank you, Sachin. Because thank you for conceptualizing this, and on uh, behalf of the team at BMSCIF World, uh, I wish you uh, happy lorry and, uh, you know, uh, a great investment year comes and waits ahead of us, and uh, thank you everybody. This is a new series called Alpha Mavens, and we'll have many more such guests uh, discussing such interesting topics, and I think, uh, you know, we'll have Ashish again sometime in the future, you know, when the markets might behave differently or something uh, but we'll get get him back thank you ladies and gentlemen thank you for joining us and uh, we look forward to your participation in the rest of the series thank you
2: thank you, everyone. Thank, you, thank, you Ashish. thank you thank you, thank you, thank you, you, very you. have a nice Thanks, evening a thank you bye bye, bye.